Grace and peace, you're listening to United We Pray. Taking racial struggles to the throne of grace, United We Pray is a podcast devoted to prayer about racial strife, especially between Christians. We want to help Christians think better about race in a way that is biblical, beneficial, and clear. Friends, we want to be hopeful and helpful in our work. You can learn more about it at uwepray.com. That's U-W-E-P-R-A-Y.com, where you can find articles, old episodes, and more. I'm here with Erwin Ince, a pastor at Grace DC, a Presbyterian church here in the district. He's the leader of the Institute for Cross-Cultural Mission, which is a church-based training and research entity dedicated to equipping current and future Christian leaders for cross-cultural ministry. He's also a CrossFit extraordinaire. (laughs) And Erwin, uh, let me just say this, you have one of my favorite laughs of any human being. Okay, okay. Warmth. I receive Yes, that. man. You just, war- you just bask <laughs> in the warmth. That. So welcome to the show. Thank Amen. you for joining us, brother. Thank you, bro. Good to be with you, man. Yeah, man. I mean, it's still coronavirus day, so I'm sad we couldn't be in person, but here we are, so keeping our social distance, trying to love our That's neighbor. right. That's right. So Erwin, I just talked about ICCM, if, if that's what you, if that's a good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, that works. ICCM. Tell me why you're given to this work, why Erwin Ince is doing this work. Sure. Um, Thanks for that question. This really does come out of my heart's passion uh, for for ministry and for the church. Uh, It really developed out of my own sense when uh, when I came to faith in uh, in Jesus Christ. I he developed, I would say, (laughs) in me what I would call what I what I call a divine dissatisfaction. And, and that's a phrase I got from Dr. King, who uh, encouraged his hearers in at least one of his messages to go out with a divine dissatisfaction. He meant by that, what, is, what do you see in the church, in the world that's not in line with God's word and his will and his way, and the Lord gives you a divine dissatisfaction about it. Uh, and for me, that was the, just the overwhelming Mononess of the church, the mono ethnic reality of most local churches in America. Now, there's a reason why I think the Lord gave me this divine dissatisfaction. It's because of my life um, as a young adult before the Lord grabbed my heart. Uh, I I had a, just a very overwhelmingly racialized worldview. Um, I had been was was very much involved in a black nationalistic movement um, uh, at my college campus in New York City, and uh, and I was hostile. I had a hostile view toward Christianity, even though I had been raised in the church. I had rejected the faith and developed this hostility toward the faith as uh, as a white man's religion, as something that um, was used as an oppressive tool for people of African descent. And so, when God in His mercy opened my eyes, brought me to himself. You know, as uh, Wesley s- says in the hymn, I, I awoke the, the dungeon filled with light. Amen. My chain fell off. My, my heart, heart was free. free. Yes. You know, I, I rose, rose went forth and, followed, and thee. followed thee. Yes. Yeah, when, when that happened to me in, the, in a historic African-American church in Washington, D.C., what also began to happen to me was this sense that, okay, I, I, I get this sense, I, I'm, this, here's a reality, that my true family, my eternal family, all those to whom I'm united by faith in Jesus Christ, and 
that's a truism that I don't, that I'm not seeing lived out in practical ways in, in the church. And so that's the genesis, I would say, of this divine dis- dissatisfaction and a sense of calling that the Lord gave me, I believe, in my ministry pursuit to press into this, Amen. the pursuit of unity and diversity, reconciliation. And I get, I understand that there are historical reasons for the divide. Like, I'm not saying that this is a simple thing. Right, of course, um, of course. And so that's what we did when I pastored the church. We helped to plant um, an intentionally cross-cultural church. Uh, and then when I transitioned out of that, it it came out of a sense of call to pursue this um, outside of just the bounds of my local church. So it was important for me to still serve as a pastor, but also as the Lord, I gave me opportunity to engage these issues um, in a broader way uh, outside of just the local church that I was serving. Amen. Amen. And one of the ways you're pursuing it is you are an author, and I want to ask you about your forthcoming work. Uh, But I think I maybe first read some of your words when I was reading about uh, a hero of mine, uh, Francis Grimke, uh, Mm. his meditations on preaching. Yes, Uh, yes, You wrote the four to that. Thank you for this, brother. Uh, Edifying to me in many ways. Uh, I love this quote. I mean, Grimke is such a gospel man, and yet he says, I have always been ready to speak Mm -hmm. in behalf of the rights of the race and have never hesitated to condemn in the strongest terms, those who are trying to deprive us of our rights as as men and as American citizens. Yes. And even in your own story, you have the tension of seeing Christianity as this oppressive tool of white men, uh, and yet now seeing it at the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Um, but yet, you don't just write forwards. You also have a book forthcoming <laughs> this uh, this summer, Lord Willing. Uh, yes. And I've been learning to say Lord Willing in these coronavirus days. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You'll be the author of The Beautiful Community, Unity, Diversity, and the Church at Its Best. Uh, And you say the church is at its best when it pursues the biblical value of unity and diversity. Uh, And what I want to ask you is, what do you mean by unity and diversity? And more importantly, what does Scripture mean? As you say, uh, it's a biblical value. You've already brought that up in your kind of testimony. So talk to me about that, brother. Sure. Um, Well, there are certainly lots of books uh, out here to talk about reconciliation, racial reconciliation, um, unity and diversity. Um, f- for me, my particular contribution is here that this is this is rooted in the nature of God. That the God that we worship is perfect and absolute unity and diversity and diversity and unity, right? As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That, that we know, right, as revealed in the scriptures, that, that, that our God, that who we declare um, and who tells us in Deuteronomy 6, 4, right, hear, O Israel, obey, right, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Um, and that this reality of the, the oneness of God, God is one, is not just a, a declaration of uh, of monotheism, even though it is that. It is also a de- declaration of the uh, the unity of God, right? Even the simplicity and, and beauty of God. And so, so um, when we hear 
the Lord Jesus in John 17 in his high priestly prayer toward the end of that chapter, when he starts praying for, for us, when he says, Father, I do not pray for these only, meaning the disciples that the Father gave him on the earth. He said, but I, I pray for all those who would believe in me through their word, right? right? right. That's us, right? He says that they may be one as you and I are one. Right? that they may become perfectly one, that the world may believe that you sent me, that the world may know that you sent me. He says this one over and over again. And, and, and the Lord Jesus is not pulling that out of thin air. He has the Shema of Deuteronomy 6.4 in mind. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so when Jesus is praying in John 17 for us that we would be one, even as he and the Father are, are one, he is, he is De- making this declaration that our unity in our diversity um, is to image the diversity of our God. So, and so when God says in Genesis 1, right, 26 and following, day six, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so, so he created him in his Im- man in his image. He created them male and female, right? the the declaration that declaration was a demonstration that human destiny is in community that what it means for humanity to be the image of god is unity and diversity and so when you get to revelation 7 9 that people like to look at right where you see every tribe and tongue uh, nation and peoples before the throne saying worthy is the lamb to receive glory and power and honor, right? This is where we were headed anyway, right? From Genesis chapter one, we were headed there. And so for for me, this is is to say, okay, what is the the church Um, in many respects? In many respects, it is a visible testimony to the world that that where God is taking the world is, has broken into right now, right? That, that, that the kingdom is coming and has come in many respects. Um, the, that um, Peter Lightheart wrote a book a few years ago. And in an interview about that book, he talked about the church. He says, you know, um, the church is to be the visible communion of people who anticipates the reality of the ultimate union of all things in Jesus Christ. That, the, that when you look at the church, you are supposed to get a reflection, a forward-facing reflection of where God is taking the world and humanity. And so this book is about beautiful community. That our God is beautiful community. Mm mutually glorifying, mutually loving, mutually supporting, mutually honoring community, right? And that this is this is the destiny of humanity. Um, so anyway, I can go on yeah, and on. Of course you I, can. Of course I guess you can. No, man. I'll I'll I'm, like, I'm just sitting at that. your feet, brother. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I trust you go on in the book. But I'll, let me press on this because you've mentioned this word beauty several times, and yet you've mm-hmm. uh, mentioned kind of the divine dissatisfaction, the godly indignation, yeah. righteous indignation. So the yeah. frustration at the historic and contemporary complicity of the church in racial mm-hmm. and ethnic polarization within our yeah. congregations and our apparent contentment with the 
the status quo. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen stats that say, you know, 90% of churches are are mono-ethnic, where at right. least... Right. At least ninety to eighty percent, eighty to ninety percent mm-hmm. of the church is one ethnicity. There's right. stats that float around those numbers, um, and I'm wondering, Erwin, before we talk about the beauty and then specific yeah. steps how we get to that beauty, if you can speak to the contemporary complicity, but other ways we see that as people might look around and say, well, "What's the what's the problem?" or or on both sides, you know, and yeah, yeah. Let me just give you an example. Please. Um, I, my mother's side of the family is from Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, and I grew up in New York City, as mentioned, in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, so my family's story on my mother's side is part of the, the great American migration, right? The mass exodus of, of, of Black people out of the Southern states over a 70-year period from the 1900 to, to 1970. My grandmother left Wilmington in 1947 for Harlem to make a better way for her children. My mother is one of six. My mother left Wilmington in 1952, right, right around age 15, 16, finished high school in New York and then went on. Um, and so there's a, a book that just came out last year, I believe it is, um, uh, Zucchino, David Zucchino is the author. And the book is titled, Wilmington's lie, um, the, the coup of 1898 and the rise of white supremacy. It is about the story of the white supremacist overtaking of the city government in Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898, where they lit, it is the only recorded hostile armed takeover of a duly elected city government in America. Right? In 1898, Wilmington, North Carolina was, the population was 56% uh, Black. It was the most populous city in the state. It was a a major city as a port city there, right? Cape Fear and the like. Um, And it it was becoming a model of Black-white cooperation. You had Black elected officials. um, You 13, I think it was 10, I think, of the 26 police officers in the city were Black. You had a, a, a major thriving black newspaper called The Record. Um, and this became intolerable to the white supremacists. And they launched a plan to, to, to take the city back. Um, they called it literally the white supremacy campaign. Right? Wow. And, and they did. So here's two points on me. One, when the coup happened, I mean, they, they, they murdered uh 60 or more african american men on the day the days after the election right and you had white christian ministers in wilmington supporting the 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 takeover <laughs> right, right 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 you so right you're talking about active engagement um and uh and so my grandmother is born in um in 1916 my grandma was born 18 years after the coup, right? Right. Um, I only found out about this in the last two years. My mother didn't know. They don't, it's not, it's not, it was buried, okay, in the history of that city. So today, today, Wilmington, North Carolina is 15% black. It was 56% black in 1898. Today it is 15% black. It never recovered 
that thriving black middle class that was developing and growing, it never came back to that city. So even now, so my point is, this is you gotta, we have to deal with this truth, right? I'm personal, like I got a personal connection to that story. I'm not, you know, I'm not hating on being a native New Yorker and growing up in New York City, but there's a reason why, right, that this this happened. And so how, what does it mean for the church in Wilmington, North Carolina now? Right? If they're gonna start pursuing reconciliation and unity and diversity, you have to deal with the bitter history and the bitter fruit of it. Does the church in Wilmington and let's look, does a local congregation that let's say they've looked at their minutes, they actively supported this mm-hmm. in using this example in miniature, do they bear a responsibility to integrate their church? And I'm asking that because I think a question that arises in my mind as I think and pray is, do we generally bear a responsibility to integrate our churches to a certain threat? Now, integrate our churches. Now, the, the next question is, well, then to what threshold, right? right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I would think Scripture gives us no no, there's no, I mean, what I say is there's no off-ramp in this conversation. Like, okay, we've hit right. 60-40, we're good. Uh-huh. Right? You're talking about mm-hmm. faithfulness, repentance, confession. These yeah. things go on. Even in the most diverse of churches, we're not just right. after superficiality. Uh, that's like, right, that's you right. Know, the rock that's concert right. down the street when it was happening, that's diverse, but that's not a real beautiful community. Certainly not displaying the beauty of God. Uh, so it's because you're talking about this beauty do we bear that responsibility, Erwin? And then if, you, if you'd if say, well, you know, and my guess is it's more complicated than that, tell me about some of the steps you are then saying of how we can pursue this beauty. And, and I hate, to, I hate to, um, to simplify it too much, but as people are like, I want some steps, what do you say? Mm-hmm. That is a very yeah. complicated question for sure. you. Sure. Uh, of course it is. <laughs> um, let me say, I was just, I was just in... Wilmington doing I some work with some churches um, earlier this year in February before before Corona uh, yes. came came upon us. Yes. Um, and and having this conversation, there are some churches that are saying, "What do we do here?" Right? How? Right? Um, and so there is a response. The responsibility is this, uh, Isaac. It's too simple to say oh, we've got an integration goal of X percentage for our, um, for our congregation or for our, uh, our local church, right? That becomes a forced thing. Um, this, is not a, this is not something that you try to manufacture. This really is rooted, if, I'm, if we're grasping the, this gospel truth of reconciliation, the pursuit of beautiful community and unity and diversity, it's, it's around this reality. What does it look like for me to love my neighbors well, for us to be loving our neighbors well, most particularly those neighbors who are not like the majority here? Right? What, what, do, what does it mean? What does it look like for us in practice to do this? Because the level to which you have diversity in a local congregation, ethnic, racial, socioeconomic, generational, that's really the Lord's doing, right? That's his, his response. Like he calls, our, 
he, he calls us to a certain heart disposition and then a willingness to pursue, right, this, this love across lines of difference. You know, as a Presbyterian, I hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Mm, well, I mean, hey, man, we quoted it the other day. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, we quoted right. it the there other day. There we go. I didn't there say, go. and nothing good could come and out nothing. of the, the, the PCA. I just, you know, I'm just saying, you know, we did talk about repenting of particular sins particularly. I appreciate that contribution. And then yeah. I just skip over the part about baptizing unregenerate, unregenerate people. But go ahead, brother. Yeah, so... I'm going to go to a non-controversial chapter of the Confession. Chapter 26 of the Westminster Confession of Faith is of the communion of saints, right? And it is a chapter in the Confession that that brings out the biblical truth of what it means for us to be united to, to God through faith in Jesus Christ, and thereby being united to one another in love the confession says, and meaning, therefore, we have a mutual obligation to pursue um, the good, right? Uh, the, what makes for the good of the inward and outward person, right? In things spiritually, materially, right? That this is an obligation of love, right? That, that we're called to. And it, uh, it, there's a sentence in there that says, and this is to be extended to all those in every place who call in the name of the Lord Jesus, this love, right? Now, two things I'll say. One, um, you say, okay, well, when did Presbyterians not say that the Westminster Confession of Faith, together with its larger and shorter catechisms, was a faithful representation of the system of doctrine taught in Scripture? And the answer is never. Presbyterians have always said that. So then you say, well, well, then how could Southern Presbyterian theologians write a defense of slavery and segregation if they, be, if they said chapter 26 was a, was a faithful representation of what the scriptures taught. Anyway, that's, besides, that's one. Two, now there's a, a theologian from a generation ago, I think he's George Hendry is his name. He wrote, a com, he wrote a commentary on the confession. And he said about that chapter, he said, what the, the love that the confession is talking about here is not one that's based on mutual attraction. He said it is, a, it is a love that reconciles contraries, bringing into communion those who have nothing in common save the fact that the Lord Jesus gave himself for them, right? That the love we're called to is a love that reconciles contraries. It is a love that brings into communion into familial relationship, those who might have nothing in common except the fact that Jesus gave himself for them, right? So this is the pursuit. This is not a percentage. It is how to, what does it look like for us to pursue love of neighbor across these lines of difference? Mm, That's good. Yeah. So getting away from the specific um, measurement rubric and to the question of love and beauty. Yeah. And I'm not saying, okay, we don't want to, have any rubrics that we pay attention to, but we want to say, look, um, how do my diverse neighbors receive love? I, I, that, that takes work on my part. That takes work on my part. To, it takes a humility, right, uh, of learning. So I'll get to the steps in one second. Let me just say, yeah, this please, I asked a long piece, question. Go. Right. Um, so, um, right. 
There's a book titled um, Churches, Cultures, and Leadership by Mark Bronson and, and Juan Martinez. It's a practical theology on congregations and ethnicities that talks a lot about ways to pursue unity and diversity, right? And they say, make this statement, they say about for majority culture, for majority culture people in our context, that would be white people, this, the challenge is this. The challenge is listening to, learning, putting yourself under the influence of people from minority culture. When your natural experience has been entitlement, you, 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 even if you don't consciously um, know that that's been your natural experience, it's entitlement. You're entitled to be a voice at the table. You're entitled to really take a, a dominant part in the conversation. Right. Right? So not, not an inerrant, malicious... No, sense of no, no. Right. not in right, but that a humility of listening to and learning from people from minority cultures. And then they said, for those in the minority, the challenge in this is trust, especially if the history is saturated with wounds, right? Right. So especially when there's a the wounds are still present right? and felt, right? And so. That's why this is not for the faint of heart, right? Um, and, and so he, here are some steps, right? Uh, and even this is going to be too simple. Uh, so I, I'm going to qualify it after I give them. I, I call it these four things that happen not necessarily sequentially, but, but all have to be there if a church is really going to engage in this pursuit. Um, and we don't have time to get into you know, a majority culture church pursuing this and, <laughs> um, and a minority culture church pursuing right. this. I'm just going right. to lay these out. Right? Lay them out, brother. One, one I talk, I, I, I say devoting to the doctrine, devoting to the doctrine of, of reconciliation, of unity and diversity, of love across lines of difference in Jesus' name, that it's not a tangent or a nice to, to have. That understanding this is human destiny and we're called to pursue it now in Jesus' name. That Jesus was serious when he said, this is the testimony to the world. The unity of my people is the testimony to the world that I'm real, right? Uh, that, that we're devoted to this as fundamental to living faithfully uh, out our scriptural, biblical gospel mandate, right? Devoting to the doctrine. And... Um, then the next thing I, I call probing the preferences. So asking the questions as a local congregation, why do we do the things that we do the way that we do them? Right? We're trying to be, we're striving, every church, we're striving to be faithful to the Lord Jesus. Um, and the, the scriptures don't give us every uh, jot and tittle of all the facets of worship or Christian life, Right? There are some things we deduce by good and necessary consequence to you quote the Westminster Confession again, right? Um, and it doesn't mean that they're wrong or they're bad, but we've made preferences that are informed or we've made decisions that are informed by our cultural preferences. And so we need to at least be willing to do the work of probing those preferences, right? To decide, to make some decisions of, oh, are there things that we might want to hold more loosely or change? for the sake of loving our neighbors for whom these preferences are different, right? Uh, and then um, 
And the next thing I talk about is counting the cost. So, right, if we are going to probe our preferences and be willing to make some changes, we count the cost of that, that this is, it's not free, right? It's sacrificial, right? And we have to be willing. This is all Bible gospel truth, right? <laughs> sacrificial love, <laughs> right, is what we're called to, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the, then the fourth thing I say is toast to the truth. That's the picture of, you know, raising a toast, right? This picture of a celebration that really, in my mindset, puts me, puts the Lord's table front and center. This, I was just thinking this the same thing. beautiful table, this beautiful, diverse table with, with Jesus is, is the bridegroom, right? And he's raising, he's raising the toast. But we are a people of joy and celebration, right? So that we, what my point is, that this is a hard journey. It's one that requires sacrifice, but we have to be always ready to give God praise and thanks when we see him working. If when we see him working in us to change our hearts or even change certain dynamics, that, that we rejoice in that, that we don't have a woe is us, we're losing so much of what we thought is our identity, right? that we praise the Lord, right? So, so those are the four things that I say have to be included. Now, let me say this last piece. I'm gonna bring it back around to ICCM and the work of our institute, uh, because this is, the, this is the work we've committed to, helping to equip churches, right? As a training and research entity, uh, helping to equip churches in this pursuit around these four areas, but not as a quick fix. So we, when we come alongside and partner with churches in what we call our cohort experience, we ask for a three-year commitment because this is, about, this is about discernment. It's not about us giving you answers. It's about a process of you as a church or a ministry or Christian organization discerning what faithfulness to this vision looks like for you in practice. Because there is no cookie cutter answer. Every church is, is, is there's no cookie cutter answer. You've got you've to discern for yourself. So anyway, there you go. Long, Thank long you, answer. Hey, man. No, I, and I love that part about, um, about the, I love that commitment. That I mean, that is that is that's a real commit. Uh, three year. I mean, that that I love that you're asking for that, uh, and that pushes so, um, and that pushes people. I think in a helpful way, man. It doesn't mean we don't do work with churches who who don't make or ministries that don't make that three year commitment. But we're saying this is where we want. We're trying to lead you <laughs> if you're really serious about this. So, anyway. amen. Let me ask, you talked about praising God, so let me ask you one question before we pray to God. Uh, in June 2018, you became the first African-American moderator of the PCA's General Assembly. This was the 46th Assembly, PCA beginning in the early 1970s. What did that mean for you? I'm sure lots of people have asked you, so let me be yeah. the next one. What did that mean, represent, and in terms of praising God for the progress? Sure. It's amazing. It is never, it's not something that I ever aspired <laughs> toward. Right, you know? right, right. Um, I felt, so I have, 
I would have called myself years ago. I, I would say something like, you know, I think I'm 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 PCA by accident. Like knowing, <laughs> okay, God is sovereign, but I wasn't planning to be in the PCA, right? Leaving black nationalism and going to a white yeah, yeah, southern, right. yeah, southern right. Presbyterian denomination. Right. Yes, yes. Right. That wasn't part of my <laughs> right. That's the Lord has a sense of humor. Right. right. And Jonah um, was not planning on going to Nineveh. But here we go. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, and so for so but but I but I felt very regularly like an outsider in in this sense. Yeah. That please. you know, there are only about one percent of the pastors in the PCA are black. Right. Um the so so that is a, you know, there's some trauma there. <laughs> yeah, yes. And I, I say this in that forward I wrote to the meditations on preaching, right? That I had the, 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 the typical greeting when you come to the microphone at a presbytery meeting or at general assembly, when you address the, you, you know, your fellow pastors and elders, you address them as fathers and brothers. Right. And that's, it's not, right. It's, it's a, it's a term of respect and endearment for those who are older than you and have more longevity in, in ministry. And for those who are your peers, who are your brothers. Right. But as a black man addressing an overwhelmingly white men, right. In the reality of being black in America and all of the history of black men being called boy, right. No matter how, like, I, I could never bring myself to use that word fathers, <laughs> you know, to, um, there was just a block for me. But in recent years, uh, I began to be exposed to the fact that I had, I had black Presbyterian fathers in the history of the Presbyterian church. Men like Francis Grimke, um, uh, men like uh, Matthew Anderson, uh, JC, uh, Gloucester, uh, J.C. Pennington, you know, all throughout my seminary study, all throughout my ordination, you know, Presbyterian, PCA church history, PCA history, <laughs> I'd never come across any of these names, right, that I just ran down for you, right? And that gave me a greater sense of real belonging um, within the PCA, that these these black Presbyterian ministers did not separate, did not separate to form a black Presbyterian denomination, but rather challenged the white Presbyterian brothers and fellow clergy and presbyteries, challenged them to live out the truth of what they professed, challenged them to integrate the presbyteries, challenged them on issues of, of race, right? And these are men who are foundational in the, in the starting of the NAACP, right? These are, right. These are, so, right. So, so these are not people who took some high, you know, high theological, high tower view, right? And didn't come down on the ground, right? And so that engendered in me when I was elected as uh, the moderator of the 46th General Assembly in 2018, um, just a real sense of joy and praise to God that, that I'm not, this is not, <laughs> that I'm not new. This is not new. 
This is, God has always had a witness in the Presbyterian church, <laughs> right? And so I just, I get to continue a legacy. Mm. Amen. Amen. Praise God, brother. Praise God. And I mean, well, and it does, it leads me to wonder, you know, you have so many people asking that question of, do I leave or do I stay? These yes. denominations. And, and, yes. I, and I guess for a bonus question, what is your typical counsel on that difficult question? Yes. Great. Yeah. I mean, I hear it and engage it all the time and I've had to ask it myself, do I leave or do I stay? Right. And I tell people, listen, I'm here because I am convinced that the Lord has called me to be here. Like that this is, this is really and truly about God's calling. That if you, if, you don't, if you don't have that sense through prayer, um, study with the word, wise counsel from other believers that God has not called you into this, then that's, you know, you've got to be where God calls you. Jesus is the commanding general, you know? He tells some people stay here and others go there. And his people, when they're in tune, they listen to him. And, and, and here's what I also say. I say, it might actually only be that you need to step out for a season, right? Because you, you don't know the future. Right, we're not making lifetime is, decisions, right? That's right. Necessarily, and, yeah. That's right. And minority fatigue is real. It is real, you know? And so I don't, I don't try to shame people if they, it's just like, no, this is a sense of really calling. And if you're really striving to be faithful and hear the Lord and respond to him and, um, and, and be where you not only going to flourish as a follower of Jesus Christ, but you're going to serve the body of Christ and help that body flourish, then that's what you do. Amen. Amen. Erwin, you've done much in this conversation, brother. Let's do one more thing. Let's pray uh, to our Lord Jesus Christ. So, brother, if you would open and you just pray over some of the themes we've talked about um, Mm. here, and then I'll close us in prayer. Yeah, sure. Let's pray. Lord, you're good. Uh, Your mercy endures forever. You are faithful from generation to generation. And Lord, we, we, we want to, our hearts want to say, like the psalmist, one thing um, have I desired and sought after, um, that I might dwell in the presence of the Lord to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You are glorious and beautiful and majestic and radiant, Father, Son, Amen. and Spirit. And you have declared that the earth is yours and the fullness thereof, and that we are your people, and that you are calling us, Lord, to be your image in unity and diversity. And our confession, God, is that it is impossible for us to do this apart from the work of your Spirit, that, that we are desperate for you to work toward this end. And so I pray, Lord, for all those who would hear this, this podcast for your church, uh, for me, for, uh, for my brother Isaac, that you would be pleased to work in us toward that end, that you would make us people, uh, gospel people, who embrace the rhythm of confession, repentance, forgiveness, love, and joy <laughs> to the glory of your name. Um, do this so that the world might see your beautiful bride and know 
that you are real, that we might be, the world might be able to start looking even more attently at, attentively at the church and see a bride who is being prepared without blemish or spot or wrinkle <laughs> for that great wedding day. Uh, do this, Lord, for our good. Do it for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Father, we give you praise and thanks that uh, though we can't gather physically, we are united spiritually through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord. We give you praise and thanks for the work of ICCM, and Lord, we ask that you would bless it. Lord, we ask that you would bless the work of United, we pray. Uh, Father, um, a phrase bouncing in my mind is what our brother quoted early, earlier about a history saturated with wounds. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we know that the wounds in so many ways are still open and painful for people. Oh, Father, but yet we also give you praise and thanks that the wounds of Christ are in our history. Yes, yes. And that it's his wounds which compel us and which made us into one new man and compel us to live out that vision, Lord. And so we ask, Lord, that we'd not pursue cookie-cutter love, that we'd not pursue uh, uh, chi, uh, uh, quick fixes, mm-hmm. quick measurements, uh, this or that, and, and act as if we can move on, Lord. When we're on, you said for us to daily pick up our cross through your Son. Uh, and Lord, we confess that sometimes in this area, we leave it on the ground and it's been left there too long. So Father, would you give us grace to pick up that cross? Father, would you give us grace uh, to take, would you use what is ugly as you did in the book mm. of Genesis mm-hmm. so clearly in Genesis mm-hmm. 50, would you use what is ugly and make it beautiful? Uh, as my brother said, redemptive unity uh, is what we're after and we're after it in Jesus name. Help us, God. Amen. Or when people can pick up your book in August and yes. they can check out yes. ICCM and find you on Twitter and all that good stuff. That's right. And I would say it's available for pre-order now. So Hey, there we go. Now your <laughs> you publisher's happy. Go to Amazon, go to <laughs> IVPress.com, okay. pre-order, the beautiful community. Amen. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, friends, there you have it. Thank you for joining us. You can find more at youwepray.com. Grace and peace. Go.